Welcome to another episode of Eat, Chit, and Dice, a fortnightly podcast about board games and once in a while, maybe a little bit, sometimes food. Uh, I'm Jondi, and with me, as always, is... Hey, Jared. it's me, it's Jared. I'm here too. Hello. Although I'm not at the same place that Jondi is, so when she says that I'm here, she means that I'm here where I am here, but not here where she is here. Right, right. So what sense. are we talking about this week, Jared? Um, we're talking about uh, Walk on the Wild Side, uh, games where you play as uh, as animal, is what this says. As, <laughs> as an animal, as animals. <laughs> It just says games where you play as animal. And I wrote that. Yeah. So I don't know what you I was thinking. You did write that. <laughs> Can't blame me this time. Nope. Not this so, time. So let's just jump right in. Um, yeah. Okay. G- great. Uh, uh, I didn't have any of the links open. I'm, I'm not doing too good here. Uh, Salmon Run. We're going to talk about Salmon Run. Salmon Run is a, I guess it's a deck builder. I'd call it a deck builder. It's from Eagle Griffin Kinda, Games. yeah. Uh, the designer was Jesse Catron. Catron? That seems right. Catron. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it, it has deck building in it. Um, you start off with a set amount of cards. Um, you have some movement cards, and there's... Well, you're, you're a salmon, and salmons want to swim upstream to spawn. So you play as a salmon. You have cards in your deck. You play them to move. As you move, if you move over certain icons that are on the board, you can pick up the associated cards. So you might have, oh, I've, I swam over, I pick up a new movement card. So you pick up a new movement card or oh there's a bear um the bear can attack you right the key to movement is playing these swim cards so you can play up to three swim cards on your turn but if you do your fish gets tired so you take a fatigue card if you jump and you have to jump over waterfalls you take a fatigue card because jumping is hard because you're a fish if the bear attacks you you have to struggle to escape from the bear so you take a fatigue card and these are just dead draws in your deck every i think just about every single one of the the deck building games has dead draw cards that just is junk that gets in your Way. Most of them do, yeah. Uh, it has really cute little salmon meeples to represent the players. It has bear meeples. As far as deck building games go, it's a good enough game. You know, it's from, I think it was 2013. Right. So for me, I found it to be a little bit on the boring side. Um, not a bad game necessarily. I just didn't, like, they describe it as a fast-paced racing game, and I just didn't feel that, like, excitement or fast pace to it. Uh it kind of reminded me a little bit in the mechanics and play style uh, to Flamme Rouge. Okay. Okay. And I would rather and I would rather play Flamme Rouge. Um. Okay. Well, I guess we should explain what that is so that you can. Uh, it, it's a yeah, It's a yeah, bike yeah. game that has. I would call. I wouldn't call that deck building because you don't build your deck, but you do have some hand management that you have to do because you you know if you play the the really good card now, you don't get to play it later. So, right, and you and you get fatigued as yeah. well. There, there's that. Um, uh, Flamme Rouge is a is a bicycle uh, racing game. Stronghold publishes it. Yeah, I really, I really, I mean, they're obviously not the same game. There are definite differences, but they to me they feel like they scratch the same itch. And of the two, I would much rather play Flamme Rouge. Mm, I guess, I guess that's okay. I mean, I think this one has some more going on. Uh, it, it does have a modular board, so that when every time you build the board, it's different, um, which. Flummers, I think, also maybe has that. Isn't there a modular board? I, It's been a long time. I think there is an expansion, but I don't know 100%. It's been a long time since I've played the game. Uh, I have it. And I've only played Flummers that one time. I've played it a few times, but it's been a while. Like like two years, I think. So, um, But up to two. I mean, like I said, they definitely have dif- differences. 
but yeah. they both yeah. feel like they're kind of in that same area. I don't know. Okay. Uh, like genre of games. One thing that I do like about Salmon Run, I, I, I think is a very interesting choice. Um, so there are supplemental cards that you can add into your deck. The, the swim cards, like left, right, forward. Yeah. There's only three each of those. Right. So not everybody's going to get them. Right. So it is a limited economy. Uh, there's like a million fatigue cards. There's like 30 fatigue cards. So you don't have to worry about running out of those. But, but definitely the, the actual swim cards are limited. And because the board is modular, you can make it either shorter or longer. Right, right. They do have a short game and long game listed in the in the rule book. Yeah, and there is a little bit of take that in Salmon Run. Um, I wouldn't call it a take that game, but it definitely has a little bit of that in it. And I do like take that games. Uh, for me, there's some just some sort of satisfaction in just ruining another player's game. Uh, right, because you can force someone back downstream yeah. by playing a Rapids card or a Current card or uh, having having the bear come at them. And there, there's also the Eagle cards that we didn't None end of up us ever got any. using because we didn't. Yeah, we just didn't get them. But there are ways to mess with people. I think there was a turn where Cat played a card that like ruined Troy's next turn. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because it made him discard all yeah, of his cards. Yeah, so and he was about to win the game and then he didn't win the game because... Because that happened to him like two turns in a right. row. Uh, so, you know, stuff like that does differentiate it from other games that might be in a similar genre. Um, there's definitely that that makes it feel like a little bit different of a game. And I did like that aspect. But overall, I wasn't entirely entertained by this one. Now, I have been led to believe that this game um, is out of print. However, there are some copies that are on the geek market and on eBay. And I think this is what I was told that they still have copies that they can sell at conventions in person. Okay. But if you want to get salmon run and you go to the Eagle Griffin booth and they don't have any, uh, sorry, uh, this is just what I was told. Right. Um, so speaking of, uh, games that come out from Eagle Griffin, we are actually talking about another one from them called wombat rescue and this one is about what you think it's wombats and they're trying to rescue their babies and keep the dingo from getting the baby johnny did you know that wombats poop cubes until i it's true until i played this game the first time i i did not know that they're not really cubes but they i mean in real life they're not shape they're cube ish And the reason they do that is because wombats are almost completely blind. And so they use their poop to find their way around their territory. And so the cube kind of is shaped poop keeps it from leaving the area where they deposit it. Yes. So that's the reasoning behind it. Nature is crazy weird and cool that way. And they're also marsupials. So they carry their babies in pouches, which in this game, there's like a little pouch on your player board. Your player board literally looks like a wombat that, like, you know those health school books where it shows Mr. Body and it shows all his insides? That's kind of what, it's kind of what these player boards remind me of. It's like Mr. Wombat Body or Mrs. Wombat Body and it shows her digestive tract and you're picking up food throughout the game and it has to start uh, in the mouth and then each turn you have a digestive phase where the food moves through the digestive system so that you can poop. And John D's been waiting for me to say this. Uh, this game is all about optimizing your your poop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah. So for those of you that don't know this, uh, Jared generally does not play games that involve poop. It's just not his thing and he's not into it and gross. So uh, this is, I think, probably the only game that involves poop that Jared will play. And I was really looking forward to hearing you talk about poop uh, in the podcast. Well, uh, here I am. I'm doing it. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. So, yes, Wombat Rescue is, is you, you poop. Um, if you eat a, a value of three worth of food, and all the different colored food has different values. So, you know, you've got uh, green equals one, and it's like a leafy vegetable or whatever it is. Um, and then all the way up to three, which is roots. So you've got a one, a two, a three. If you ever have a value of three or more in your wombat's mouth, you start digesting. The strategy that I have employed is when you move, as long as you are in your smell zone, you can continue moving as far as you want to because you know where you are. If you ever get outside of your, your poop smell zone, then your wombat gets lost. So the, the real optimization strategy here is to put your poops into a certain pattern that lets you move around the board pretty freely. You have some player cards that let you hold in your poop or uh, it's called high fiber diet. It makes you poop immediately. It gives you You want to use those to your advantage. It gives you diarrhea or constipation. Right. So <laughs> it's a movement game. Uh, it's got a modular board. It's a lot of hexes that you put together to form the board that determine where the hyenas uh, home is or their, I don't know what you call hyenas, homes. Dingo dens. Oh, it's dingo, not a hyena. It's similar animal. So the dingo dens, the, the board determines where those are. Uh, one of the players are always the ones that control where the dingo goes. And the act, the player that has that rolls for the dingo's movement at the end of their turn. And for the most part, they can decide which direction the dingo is going to go. But it always has to at least go in the direction of the closest player including themselves, mm -hmm. but they can, within that area, they can kind of decide where the dingo is going to land. And if you get attacked by the dingo, then you have to go back. The wombat has to go back home. If they're carrying a baby, the baby goes back to where it started. And uh, then that player that got attacked, it becomes the player that's going to control the dingo. Uh, and they're unfortunately, just like in the real world, there are, um, you know, bad things happen if, if the dingo eats you. Um, you lose the baby that you had. It has to go back to the like the baby starting spot. And the mama wombat has to go back to the mama wombat starting spot. And you have to try again. Right. But it's it's not. Well, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's not a big deal. No, it's not but huge. It is, but if it you, is a little annoying. If you haven't optimized your poops, if you haven't optimized your poops, it is a bigger deal. So the babies start on ex completely the other side of the board in like four different places and you can only carry one baby at a time so throughout the game you're trying to get from one end of the board to the other and then back with babies uh, there's one special move that you can use once in a game to go instantly home mm -hmm. so that's good to i think i used it when i picked up a baby and the dingo was really close by and i was like i need to go home before the dingo gets me so it's really useful in that but there's only one of those and right, you've got four right. babies. So that's where the optimizing your poop comes in because you get to move more quickly as long as you stay within that two space smell zone. But the second you step out of that, if you haven't stepped into another one, then you have to stop your movement. So that's the basic how it's played. I love it. 
I think it's a really cute game. I think the theme is kind of fun and funny without being like super gross. Most games with poop are like kind of tasteless and gross. This one's not. It's fun. I can really see playing this with kids because it's really easy to play. And most kids are going to think that the poop thing is just hilarious. So it's definitely a good one to play with kids as long as they're... I'd say, I don't know, what do you think, Jared? Like 10 and up? Mm, yeah, yeah. I would say that's that's probably good. To kind of get the smell zones. Because I know Kat and I both had trouble <laughs> figuring out the smell zones at first. I don't know what, what's wrong with us. But yeah. we finally got that figured out. I don't know. What do you think of this one? Um, I think it's fine. I, I think that it is... Um, Longtime listeners might know that I have a separate area for my more intro-friendly games, um, and I think it's going to live there. But I will say, uh, it's such an odd choice for a theme that I'm not sure the audience for this game is is maybe maybe helped or maybe hurt by the weird theme. (laughs) Um, And and interestingly enough, uh, when this game was published, we didn't have a firm understanding of how or why Wombat poop was squarish and it wasn't until uh november of 2018 that a scientific study was published on that isn't that gross and weird (laughs) i didn't even know that i mean it's super i mean like i said nature's like weird and really cool the way that uh, various like animals and species adapt to things like you know like pooping squares it's like so weird. Yeah. And I still have trouble in my head figuring out exactly how that works, but I don't want to spend too much time thinking about an animal butthole. So No, no, that's fair. Uh, I will I will tell you that there are muscles in the wombat's intestine that squeeze it into that shape. Okay, well that makes sense. Yeah. At, at its at its heart, this is a uh I guess road building game and pick up and deliver. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think its main mechanic is pick up and deliver. I don't know. Poop optimization. That's not really a mechanic, but. (laughs) (laughs) It's generally not a a mechanic. No, but, but, but yet there are also a lot of modular expansion uh, concepts in this game, like having extra dingoes or if the dingo moves onto a space that has a poop cube, it it destroys the poop cube. Right. Um, Thematically, it's eating the poop cube, which is gross. Don't think about that. It makes sense, Um, though. Dogs do that. We didn't play with any of that stuff. It just, I don't know that it needed to have that. There's also some stones that you can use that block the path. And honestly, if you're playing with people that play board games all the time, maybe try some of those those expansion ideas. I honestly wouldn't mind trying them. Uh, We didn't because not everybody there had played the game before. And some people that played with me don't play games ever right right but i wouldn't mind doing that like the next time we play this isn't a game we're going to pull out all the time but i definitely see it see it hitting the table again i've played it like two or three times before this yeah for a while this is one of your grail games it was it was hard to find for a while and i don't know why it was hard to find but it was a little bit hard to find until one year i think it was at origins you came and saw me you're like johnny guess what they have at the eagle griffin booth so i got it that year and my personal copy, I don't think, has still made it to the table because we've played your copy. Mm. But I'm glad I have it. It's something I'm glad is in my collection. And like I said, I definitely see it hitting the table some more. And I wouldn't mind trying one of the variants that have like extra dingoes or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can play with more. Yeah. I wouldn't want to with just three players. But like with like five, like five players, I wouldn't mind having like one extra dingo. Well, there you go. 
Um, I guess we, that, I mean, that's, that pretty much, bro, wow. I guess that pretty much wraps up Wombat Rescue. Um, it does. So. If you like weird themes, uh, if you like, you know, nice entry level games, then, you know, this one's definitely worth a try. Yeah. So now we can move on to something that's the opposite of those things. Absolutely the opposite. Um, I, I mean, that's not really fair. That's not true. Um, but we're, we're talking about Roar. King of the Pride. Uh, it's a Daryl Andrews game uh, published by IDW. John D and I are going to disagree on this game, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I think the problem is so. Uh, let me let me talk a little bit about the game and then tell you what I think the problems are. Um, this is an area control game with, I guess, maybe a little bit of worker placement in one very minor aspect, um, but most of this is going to be area control. You play as a pride of lions or multiple prides of lions, I guess, if you split them up. You need to manage your food supply while expa- uh, expanding your territory and growing your your workforce, your pride. Uh, by doing breeding, um, you can attack other players, although there's not really a benefit to that. You also have to avoid human activities while uh, doing objective cards. And, you know, it on the surface, when you look at this game and you're reading through the rulebook, it sounds like a lot is going on. But then you start playing it and there's really not that much going on there's not and and depending on the situation that you're in on the board it really really dictates what you're going to do on your turns which makes there makes it feel like there's not a lot of choices i mean you still have lots of choices but most it, it this it really dictates which choices are the good ones to make depending on what your situation is on the board so right. i had a major problem um, so you can have, um, uh, I should also say there are individual player powers and player starting locations based on which color you pick. So yes. if you're just picking by player color, maybe don't do that. Maybe look at what the powers do. Or if you're playing for the first time, you don't really understand. I think when we looked at based on the colors we like, we're like, well, I don't really, I haven't played the game yet. I don't know which one of these for my play style would be the best. So yeah. having played it once next time I would probably pick a different uh, lion species. Uh, not, just not based a on my species, just a different a different type of lion, a different breed, a different breed. That's the word I'm looking for. Breed, a uh, different breed of lion. I would pick based on my own play style. I think each of them are a valid ability, but every player is going to have a different play style. Right. So I was in a situation for a while where so you can have. There's a maximum pride size that you can have in each territory, and that's two males and seven females. Well, I had the problem where I wasn't so much worried about having two males per territory. No, you I weren't. Had, I had one male total. That male was making a lot of babies. <laughs> so and they were all pretty girls. Much, yeah, pretty much every turn I was like, well, I guess I do the breed action and I'll take these cubs. And you don't know what you don't know what the gender is of the cubs until they start growing. So you're like, okay, I do the breed action. You roll the die. It tells you how many breed tokens you take. All right, put those out. All right, cool. All right, next turn, I flip them all over. Oh, they're all females. Okay, great. So I, I guess I do the breed action again. And I, I, I was really badly in a situation where I was like not able to really do much because I didn't, have any male lions right so like the advantage to the female lions and the reason why you want to make sure you have plenty is just like in real life the female lions are ones that gather food so if you have are only you telling a male- me that the lion king movie lied to me 
Well, the women are the ones that go out and get the food in Lion King, too, goof. No, 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 no. No, no, John D. Nothing about that movie is accurate. Nothing. That part is. The women are the ones that... that oh, yeah, no, that food. I know. I know that. But I'm just saying that there doesn't seem to be a, a functional lion society in the Lion King. <laughs> right, right. Because Scar and Mufasa are brother, right? Brother and sister, right? The, not brother and sister, they're brothers. I'm sorry, brother brothers. I'm sorry, I was getting to I was getting to the next part of my theory. So right. Simba and Nala at at worst are cousins. Right. In theory. Like they never reveal who no, Nala's dad didn't. is, but it's probably Mufasa. Right. So that Right. Best best case scenario, I guess I should say they're cousins. Worst case scenario, they're brother and sister. Right. A, a pride of lions is going to have two males. That's just how it works. Generally, so, yeah. W- what? <laughs> Disney, just what are you doing? Just don't think about that. <laughs> yeah, just don't, don't think too much on that. Seriously. That's fair. Uh, that's fair. But so back to Roar. My, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yes. My main issue with this game, it's an okay game. I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with the game. I found it very frustrating. I think that if something bad happens to you early on, it is very hard to play catch up. It is. So, and the reason I'm glad that this happened so that I saw how it works. So I'm not like upset that bad things happened to me, but the way, the, what happened, the way things played out was that early on in the game, Jared needed a territory I was in or whatever. So he attacked me, pushed me into a territory that made less food so thus I couldn't feed my lions. So I started, I lost lions and then he kidnapped, then he ate my babies. <laughs> I, uh, okay. To, to be fair, in my defense, <laughs> that's not what happened, but in the rules, it says that if the adult lions are pushed out of a territory, they leave the cubs. And if there are ever, the cubs are alone and a different player's, lions enter that area then those babies, babies go, go away. away so, so I, I didn't say all right john d i'm attacking you and eating your babies well you didn't eat that you like killed the babies but anyway so that <laughs> i mean that happened and then uh, this the, like the subsequent turn you stole one of my ladies like one of my only ladies uh, yeah which left me with one lion and it was a male lion so i couldn't make babies because you have to have you know According to the birds and the bees, you have to have both a female and a male lion. So what I ended up doing in order to try to play catch up was uh, if something happens and a player is wiped from the board, they can basically reset. They get their four starting lions back and they can uh, put them into any place on, on the board. Right, right. You respawn where the humans are. So I sacrificed my one male lion... So that I could basically restart. The closest thing I feel like there is to a catch-up mechanic, and it worked for me, but I, it, it could also oh, terribly backfire on you, was at that point I never was able to catch up with you guys on the size of my pack, or size of my pride, or by breeding, because I, I, I really it was hard to catch up in that aspect of the game. So instead... I went all in on goal cards, which uh-huh. are cards that literally they have different goals that you're trying to achieve, like entering a certain territory or having the least amount of lion, male lions, things like that. So 
I went completely all in on that and just was drawing a lot of goal cards. And you draw two and you pick zero or up to two. And so I would draw those goal cards, cards and look, okay, which one of these can I achieve quickly? And so it worked out well for me. But it could also work out very badly for you because any goal cards that you have left at the end of the game that you did not achieve are negative points. Right. Just like in Ticket to Ride, if you pick a, like a train route and you can't do it, you're punished for it. Yes. So, so I unfortunately had, had uh, one of those that was negative that right. I kept because I thought, oh, I, I think I know what this means. And then... Later on, I reread the card and I said, wait a minute, uh, I oh, missed a crap. word in here. I don't think that this means what I thought it means. Yeah. Uh, so it worked for me. I managed to come in second. Yeah, I, by one point. By one point. So that card that you had left was really what pushed you into third place because of that. So that little bit of a catch up mechanic worked for me, but it was really difficult and it made the game not as much fun. Because I couldn't really breed. I couldn't, like, compete with you guys. I couldn't even sneak through territories. Because when you sneak through territory, you lose a lion. And I didn't right. have enough lions to lose. Because then I wouldn't be able to keep going in the game. So it made it a little bit, actually a lot different of a game for me. And I don't think it was that much fun. I can see where the game could be fun when those things don't happen. Or Yeah, yeah. I think for sure playing with three players and starting all next to each other on the map because that's the colors that we picked. I really think that hurt the experience. I would like to see it with more players and maybe a different starting setup because uh, I really think that that would change the dynamic of the game. It probably uh, would. Having more players, I think, would push territories into scarcity, which would cause more conflict among the players. And it, it would definitely be a different dynamic. So this game, in some ways, would scratch the same itch as... People that like risk. Right. That's what Kat was saying. Yeah. So my problem with that, though, is like player versus player uh, conflict. When you attack another pride, your attack uh, power is determined by your ancestral power. And that's it's it starts with one for almost all the players. And then male lions that die increase your ancestral power. So it compares your ancestral power to the number of lions in a pack or in the pride that you're attacking. Right. Uh, so, yeah, because male lions are worth two, female lions are worth one, and then you take whatever that number is plus your ancestral power because Mufasa's yeah. up there going, Thumba. Right. <laughs> yes. That's so my, what happened in the movie, John. I know. It must know, be real. I know. Uh, so the issue with that is it didn't feel terribly rewarding to attack other players. So... We, we all kind of felt like the conflict would have been a little bit better had it been like risk style rules for attacking. Because there's really no, the only reward for attacking is getting that territory. There's right. no like the other player doesn't lose a lion. They just are driven from the territory. The only time that that is, that there's an exception to that rule is basically if you back the other pride into a corner and there is no legal place for them to move their lions to and then they have to pick up their entire pride and start from the beginning right you can force them off the board but th that's unlikely to happen in in a three-player game everything yeah. that i've read about this game 
everyone seems to agree that the game is best with five. And I could yeah. definitely see that being true. I, I agree with that. And I wouldn't mind playing it again at a higher player count, but it is definitely not a game that I particularly cared for. And by my choice, it would certainly never make it to the table again. I, I'm not opposed to playing it again if everybody else said, hey, I really want to play this. And the game is beautiful. It is just gorgeous. But it just wasn't a game for me. I, I just didn't fully enjoy it. All right. That, well, that's fair. Uh, okay. Before we go any farther, I want to do a thing real quick that uh, I did tell Johnny about this time. Uh, we're going to do – it's an ad break, but not for ads because we're not – we don't have advertisers. But what we do have, we have a Discord server set up. And if you don't know what Discord is, it's uh, it's like the new version of AOL chat rooms for millennials. You can t- uh, talk to people on the internet. <laughs> I think it was originally made for people that are playing like MMOs together because it was mm-hmm. a really good program to do like chats and stuff. But it's kind of become a great place for a lot of different people to use. So, uh, but yeah, we've got we've got that set up. You can uh, you can go to our website, eatchitanddice.com. There should be uh, a, a Discord link that looks like Mickey Mouse's underwear is what John D. Uh, I said. do. It does look like Mickey Mouse's pants. Uh, it's blue and it looks like Mickey Mouse's pants. Great. Um, anyway, you can click on that and you can join us, talk to us, not talk to us. You can yell at us. You can say, you guys are stupid and don't know what you're talking about. Uh, here's a, a document from uh, Mr. Disney himself describing the relationship between Nala and Simba. I'd love to read that. I'm really super interested in reading that. Um, we also still have our Extra Life campaign going on. You can still donate to that uh, until closer to the end of the year. Again, I want to stress, this is a charity event. We do not get money. If you give money... It goes to Riley Children's Hospital in Indianapolis. It does not come to us. Don't give us money. Give money to sick kids. Although, if you do want to give us money, we have t-shirts. And it's it's not like you're really giving us money. It's like a dollar. But they're if you really, want to buy a shirt. They're really high quality, too. Like, uh, I've got four, three of which are too big for me at this point, And I sleep in them. And oh, they I've still, like, like... six. Yeah, I need to order some more. But the the... Screen printing on them is really good. It doesn't like break up or whatever, like some t-shirts do. And uh, yeah, I, we keep them at a pretty reasonable price. So if you're interested, you can get get one. Uh, our current favorite one, it, it has Jared's motto on it that every game is a role-playing game if you try hard enough. Which is true. It is, especially when you play with people with your personality. Uh, we are thinking about making one. That says something like, if you don't know whose turn it is, it's probably mine. Because everybody has that one person in their gaming group, right? Right. And I'm, I'm that person in our group. <laughs> yes, that, that's, that, that you are. <laughs> oh, so boy. anyway, get one of our t-shirts. They're cool. Or don't. You know, whatever. That's fine, too. But what would be awesome. So check this out. I found out recently through looking at some metrics data that giving podcasts reviews on iTunes helps across the board, regardless of if you're listening on iTunes or not. So if you could just take like a second and go to iTunes and give us all the stars, that would also be awesome. Um, it, it does give that recommendation to people if, if the podcasts are higher rated. So it would help us grow a little bit because we only do word of mouth. We don't, we don't buy ads uh, on other podcasts uh, or really promote, anywhere monetarily so give us all the stars and also also this is a secret thing that isn't a secret anymore uh 
we're we're doing a test of uploading just the audio episodes to YouTube. We've had several people ask, like apparently they prefer to listen to even audio podcasts on YouTube. So we're doing an experiment and seeing how that goes for us. You can go to our YouTube channel and look at last episode. I guess not look at. Don't look at it because it's just a picture. But you can listen to it. And and we'll be slowly uploading um, all of our episodes going back to when we kind of changed to the current format. Yeah, there's a backlog that I have to go through. But it, it will be eventually happening. Yep. So, you know, you can you can subscribe to our... What, when it's not su- subscribe on YouTube, it's uh, follow? I don't know. No, it's subscribe. Is it? Okay, click that. What up, YouTube? It's your boy. Smash that like button. Smash that bell. Get get those notifications. Go and it subscribe to us. It would just super help just uh, growing the, the podcast. If you subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Give us a good review on iTunes. You know what? Here's the just thing. Just interact with us on social media. Give us a negative review if you want to, but just give us all the stars. You can be like one of those weirdos that leaves five stars on an Amazon product and says, didn't work, came broken, hated it, murdered my family, <laughs> five stars. I don't care. Right. Just give us all the stars. Yeah. So moving on to game dis- discussion. Uh, the next game that we talked that we played was Koi from Smirk and Laughter. Games, yes, and which... we do have to very briefly mention that Johnny does do some work for Smirk and Dagger, which is the the actual real company. Uh, they they published it under the brand Smirk and Laughter, but Johnny did not have anything to do with the company when this game was in development or in publishing. So I feel like it's okay for us to talk about it as long as we say, you know, Johnny had nothing to do with this game, but does have something to do with this company. So okay. just for for fair disclosures, we we need to say that. Yes. So, Koi is, first and foremost, a absolutely beautiful game. The art is all watercolor style, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's real dang pretty. It is. So, the idea behind Koi is you are Koi, and you are trying to eat food, which is dragonflies and frogs. And... You're moving around the board. Basically, you have cards that show different types of movement, like moving forward, turning certain ways, uh, turning all the way around, jumping. And you have to play these cards to manipulate where your koi is going to move on the board in order to eat the food. And uh, the orientation of your koi is extremely important in this game because it's going to go in whatever direction its face is pointing. And then the arrows will dictate, the arrows on your cards will dictate specifically where your koi is going to go. So orientation and the order that you play cards in is extremely important in this game. Yeah, so this is, uh, Bill Lasek is the designer, and the art is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Christy Freeman did the art, and it's, like Johnny said, it's all watercolor, it's beautiful. And uh, the owner of the company actually has this, the original watercolor framed in his house, I've been told. He does. It's and like the, the, the a watercolor I mean, it's beautiful. on a canvas, and it, it's just gorgeous. Now, I will say I am not the biggest fan of abstract, um, like I guess, movement programming games. Yeah, and this is, this is an abstract game to me with a really awesome theme just kind of – because it really could be any theme because it's, it's, it really could just be an abstract game with, like, colored pieces. Yeah. But I think what really – I think the theme and the art in this one vastly 
affect the game and your game experience. Yes. And this does have some take that uh, because you can kind of um, screw with other players. If you if you play a frog, it'll eat the dragonflies. Uh, the dragonflies are worth three points. The frogs are only worth one. So you can kind of steal points from other players or I guess not steal, but uh, keep them from d- getting you can points. deny them points. Um, and you then can... there's the flowers that you can drop and that if the flowers drop, they make ripples and uh, they move everything. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely if you bump into a player, like if you're swimming yeah. into the same hex that they're in. They move into another hex. Yeah, you can bully so, them around. Yeah. So, but that's, I mean, that's kind of the whole brand that they have. Smirk and Dagger has a lot of backstabby games, and the Smirk and Laughter line is, is less backstabby, but sometimes still has some backstabby. So, occasionally, th- th- that really like kind of does that. I think the idea behind Smirk and Laughter, uh, I think he is aiming for, with that one, games that elicit a emotional uh, response or attachment to the game. Okay, sure. I mean, I don't know that I have that, but I I think that the art is really cute in this and it's it's nice. But I don't know that I have an emotional strong emotional reaction when I see it. Right. Like, you know, like extreme like laughter or uh, uh, Yes, no, I, I know. know what an emotional yeah. yes, I know what emotions are. Anyway, I know. So anyway, uh Koi it's it's not 100% a game for me, but I've played it several times and I never mind playing it. The biggest uh, hurdle for me with the game is I'm really bad at like spatial orientation and recognition. So it's it's kind of good to try to plan your, your moves. Otherwise, you're going to sit there forever when it's your turn, like trying to figure out which card to play first. Yeah, because your orientation is all that matters. really. Yes, yes. But it's very difficult for me to do that because because of the fact that the way your fish is facing determines where it's moving based on the arrows on your cards. I have a really hard time figuring out, unless I basically put the card down facing the same way as the koi, figuring out where the fish is going to go and where it's going to end up. So it's difficult for me to plan my turn without just doing it. So that's kind of a hurdle for me with this one. Yeah, I definitely could see if you're not great at spatial stuff, having problems. Um, because, yeah, if, if you play a card and it's like, oh, this is a turn left card. I needed a turn right card and I w- got confused. Then that's really going to hurt your experience. Yeah. And like I said, I don't mind it. It's just a bit of a hurdle for me. Uh, and then I feel like when it's my turn, everybody's sitting there going, oh my God, Johnny, just make your move. So it's a little bit of an anxiety inducing game for me. Not Not to the point where I won't play it. It's just a little rougher for me to play, a little harder for me to play. So I guess our, our last our last animal game that we are discussing today is Echidna Shuffle, by, uh, published by Wetzelpoge Games. Somehow the cheapest game on this list. Yeah, and I have no idea how because the components are so awesome. We posted a picture on our Instagram when we played it the other night. Uh, so feel free to go look at that. Fun fact about this game, the year that it came out, Jared and I went to Origins. And Jared kept talking about how he wanted to get a kid in the shuffle, a kid in the shuffle. And I never went and looked at the game when he bought it. So in my head, I thought he was saying a kid in a shuffle. No, so it no, wasn't until... echidna, the, the, the weird animals yeah. that, that knuckles the, the, the echidna. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't until like later that year when I saw that company at BGGCon that I was like, oh, it's the animal echidna. And you're shuffling them around. So, fun fact, I just, I completely thought it was something else. 
Yeah, it's one of the four uh the the four uh, types of animals that lays eggs that's a mammal uh there's four four echidnas and a platypus and and that's it they are mammals that lay eggs and that's real weird but in totally this game weird. you're not laying eggs no you're t- carrying bugs yeah you're you're picking up bugs and taking them back to your home Right and and I assume they eat bugs. Yeah, they they have long noses that are good for getting under leaves and like sniffing out bugs. So here's the weird thing about this game: you don't control the echidnas. I mean, you do, but you don't have like that's my echidna. No, you, they're they, all you. they move um, based on a pattern on the board. And there's two sides of the board. There's a hard version and an easier version where the pattern is more confusing, and you have to shuffle them around. And sometimes you help your opponents. Yeah, like sometimes there's just no way to not do it. And the way you move the echidnas, they'll either pick up a, they'll either be in an optimal place for the for the player to pick up a bug, or they're going to drop off a bug because of the way that you've moved them in order to help yourself. But it's also really fun sometimes. You can move them to go in an opposite direction of where players are trying to go, and then they have to go all the way around the board again in order to get what they want. So yeah, there's twelve echidnas, and they can only move into an empty leaf. Uh, space. So if there's an echidna there, you need to shuffle them out. Hence, echidna shuffle. Yes. And there are arrows on all of the spaces and you have to follow the direction that the arrows go in order to move around the board. It's a pretty cute game. It takes, honestly, like 15 minutes to play. Yeah, it's quick. And it's adorable. Oh my god, the echidnas. I would I, I would buy the game just for those echidnas. I, I enjoy the game and I, I like it. I like the fact that I have it, but oh my god, the echidnas are adorable. Yeah, it's very cute and it's extremely cheap. And I'm not sure how they exactly are. How are they making money on this? I don't know, but I think the game runs for like 25 or 30 bucks. And I would, I mean, the components make you think it's like a 40 or $50 game. So especially for the price Go get this game. It's fun for adults to play. If you play with families or kids or people that don't play games, it's such an easily accessible game. And it's so, it's got this great table presence. So it's a fantastic game to add to your collection. So the only problem with getting this game is they don't have it in regular distribution. So like Miniature Market doesn't carry it. It's it's all done in-house. So if you want to get the game, as far as I know, you either need to get it from a retail store that carries it, that directly gets it from them, or you yourself have to get it directly from them. Yeah. Uh, like if you catch them at a convention or, I don't know, do they have a website where you can order They it? do. It's whatzelpogue.com, which is not, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and spell this. W-A-T-T-S-A-L-P-O-A-G.com. So, yeah, go get the game. Um, I'm not your mom. I can't make you get it, but seriously, it's a great entry-level game. It's a great just quick filler game. And the table presence, like I said, is just amazing for this one. Yeah, it's super cute. Uh, They are like multiple-part molded plastic little dudes. Yeah, they're so cute. Um, Out of all the games that we played for this episode, Jared, what would you say was your favorite? Uh, I guess Wombat Rescue might be, but... Yeah, same here. I don't know. I, I, I did like the idea of Roar, but oh, I would need to play it again great. to get really a, a better opinion because playing it with the player count that we had, I, I don't know. You know, we, we played, 
I think if we played it with five, if we played it again with five, I'd have a better grasp of of everything. I mean, we did everything in the game, you know. We right. we played it basically twice and said, "Okay, great." We played it. Why us playing it again is not going to do anything because right. it's going to be the same basic experience again because it's the same player count, but playing it with five players would be very different. I agree. So for me also would be Wombat Rescue. I knew going into this that I already really liked Wombat Rescue and playing several games that were all like games where you assume the role of animals. And I love animal games, but I kind of knew going in that I liked Wombat Rescue and having played all these, it's still a favorite of mine in this type of game or this theme anyway. All right. So, uh, John, do you have any Kickstarter anything? I do not. I'm not even backing anything currently. Oh, well, I am looking at Mint Condition Comics, which is a game about collecting comics. Now, some of you know that I worked in a comic store for like uh, seven years, and I have quite a little collection of comic books myself. I do miss collecting comics. I don't miss spending the money. I also worked for that comic store for a while, and I have a very small collection of comics that I was building up, but I very quickly decided that they take up too much space. So I'm all for digital comics with the exception of a very few. Like I would buy certain comics in the trades because I like that IP a lot. But for the most part, I've resorted to digital because they just take up too much space. They take up a lot of space. I have like this. This is not a joke. This is not an exaggeration. Close to 100 short boxes of comics. And if you don't know what a short box is, uh, it's it's a, a box of comics that's like. I don't know, two feet long and holds like 150 to 250 comics, depending on how close you cram them together and if they have uh, bags and boards. So I've got a couple of comic books. Right. I have four of those. Uh, this game is about collecting comic books. Yeah. What do you think? You think I'm into this idea? I think Maybe so. Maybe a little. You like collecting things in general. So. Yeah. Well, this comes with, um, it comes with six this, this is current, currently what they have, and I think that there's going to be more with stretch goals. But there's six decks of comics that represent a run of comics, and a run of comics would be, you know, issues one, two, three, four, et cetera. Um, it's also, and I love this, it, it has free comic book day cards. It has some vintage rare books. Um, the, the, the idea is that it's three rounds. And you take turns trading, picking, managing your comic collection until there's no more comics. So you can trade comics either with the shop, which is the board, or with another player. So you can make two for one, one for two trades, depending on the rarity. You can basically do whatever you want to. You can negotiate. Um, you can one-to-one trade with the store as long as it's not part of uh, a collection. You can go through the the pick pile, as they call it, which is thematically you're going into the store and digging through the boxes to try to find the the rare one that you need. You can manage your collection by adding them to sets. It, think Sushi Go, but with comic books. Because the more of that set you have, the more valuable it is. Because, yeah, okay, you have a Walking Dead number one. Cool, you can sell that on eBay. Ah, but you have the first 20 issues of Walking Dead. Think about how much more valuable that is. There are also secret powers that change every round that gives you a, a special a special action that you can take. Um, honestly, if you're into the idea of Sushi Go, but wish that it was about comic books, 
you should check it out. Uh, it's called Mint Condition Comics, and we will have a link to that in the episode notes on our website. Uh, I think that my favorite one here uh, is called Super Itadakimasu, which is uh, a Japanese comic book about... It's not a real comic book. It's fake. But it's it's about uh, super giant robots that uh, eat ramen and sushi. <laughs> well, and there's other ones like... Uh, uh, Breakfast Club or Captain Impossible. Uh, there's a lot of like fun titles for the comics in the game. So that just kind of adds to the whole like experience when I would imagine when you play it. Yeah. Um, the, the Breakfast Club one is uh, about breakfast food that is sentient. Right. right. It's not like the Molly Ringwald uh, Breakfast Club. It's, it's right. It's food. like Adventure Time, but they're food. Like Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Right. Kind of, except... Except not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think this is this is pretty cool, and um, they've got some, some neat stuff going on here. They've got a print and play, so you can check it out now. Um, but, you know, the print and play is going to be... It, it'll obviously be a, a different experience than playing the printed final copy of the game, because there's, there's stretch goals and, and etc. Um they it's pretty cheap it's it's 15 bucks for a copy of the game so it's good for budget yeah and this is one that isn't like by a mainstream gaming company so it's it's one that if you don't get it here you're probably not going to be able to get it. it's not going to be like in general dis- distribution so right uh, this is one where you you might want to jump in on the kickstarter if it sounds appealing to you yeah and it is currently funded so pretty good chance that unless something weird happens you'll get your copy yeah, it's like 200% funded. So, yeah. Uh, it's it's going to get made. And yeah, if it sounds fun to you, uh, jump in on this Kickstarter. Yeah. And as always, we will have the link. Or you can just go to Kickstarter yourself. You, I mean, it's not like I don't get a cut of it if you click on the link that I provide. But if, for convenience sake, if you don't want to search for it, you can go to our website and click the link. I think that's all we have today. So, Jared, until next time. Until next time, John, you can eat, chit, and dice. Shit and Dice is an independent production of Swin Media and is distributed under a Creative Commons license, attribution, non-commercial, share alike, 4.0, international.